you know, I know a particular challenge that I hear a lot is the idea of measuring sort of intangibles. There is no such thing as an intangible. Okay, yeah. Well, well let's go with that. Where, why is that the case? There's no such thing as an intangible. Good morning. You're listening to Hacks and Flax, the PR, digital marketing, and media podcast from March Communications. Uh, I'm Manny Vega. Welcome back, guys. I just want to remind you before we get started that you can follow March Communications at our blog. It's marchpr.com slash blog. You can also follow March on Twitter. The handle is at marchcoms. And you can follow the podcast on Twitter as well. It's Hacks Flax on Twitter. And I'm excited because we're actually introducing two first-timers to the uh, Hacks and Flax podcast this week. We've got uh, Kristen McNulty, digital strateg- strategist, excuse me, at Hello. Marsh. Hi, Kristen. How's it going? It's going well. Thank you for having me. Very cool. And we also have Paul Davenport, content manager here at Marsh. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me, Manny. Yeah. How's it going today, guys? It's going well. I'm a little nervous. My first podcast. Yeah. Yeah. We're actually doing like a take two on this one because yesterday <laughs> I messed up some audio. Yeah. So. Don't tell anybody. Manny That's okay. Was scary today as he was before, so I think we're good to go. Have I inti- yeah, I, I can be intimidating, I guess. You know, a, a five foot eight guy who doesn't uh, <laughs> have any muscle mass. It's a matter of sensitivity for me. <laughs> um, we'll beat him up after this for everybody listening. <laughs> So uh, actually, so I mean, you mentioned yesterday you had some broadcast experience, right? As yeah. A camera. So I um, started my career in broadcast journalism. I graduated college in 2007 and wanted to be the next Katie Couric and went into the newsroom where social media, I'm really dating myself here, but social media was a brand new thing. It was the way that companies and newsrooms were now disseminating information and They were in need of an online content producer, someone that could create content and that would live on the site, but that would also rank against our competitors. And uh, little did I know it that that would be the sort of platform or launching pad for my career. And it really set me up for learning about digital strategy and SEO. And at the end of the day, um, it's what uh, got me here at March. I'm doing digital strategy and helping our clients with the same thing, making content strategies that live on their site that's visible. And um, those best practices that you know I learned in the newsroom are what I carry with me today. Very cool. Did you get a chance to get in front of the camera at any point? I did. I have a really, really embarrassing um, channel. I'm, I'm hoping that it's archived. But I would go out and shoot video, and I would bring it back into the um, newsroom, and I would edit it, and I would create these sidebar pieces for Sweeps Week. So we would try to create these like little ancillary videos. And there was one, uh, an invasive plant story, if anybody wants to blackmail me, <laughs> where um, it was, it's just bad. It's bad. So I think PR is uh, is better for me, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and hopefully this podcast. Just Do you better. learn anything about invasive plants during this process <laughs> that we should know about? Like, um, just all? don't go into Lake Pocatopogany, Sampton, Connecticut. That's okay. all. I That's good advice. Yeah. Has Brendan pulled you guys into any videos yet? No, he's yeah. threatening to. Yeah. He's- yeah. He's kind of like a like Jaws around these parts. I mean, if you're camera shy. Yeah, I yeah. didn't even get a threat. He just came up behind me unannounced and like, Paul, um, yeah, you look nice. Come, come let me film you for a <laughs> You bit. look like, nice. Thanks, man. <laughs> um, 
That's like an totally HR fine. person's nightmare. You look nice today. <laughs> he didn't you. say that to me. Well, no, that's just his approach. He just comes up. He's like, I need to do something and take you completely out of the zone. I was like, oh, yeah. okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's that he'll sneak, he'll sneak up with you with a big rig. Yeah, camera rig, yeah. which looks very intimidating as well. So yeah, he came up with a whiteboard behind me yesterday, and I just like turned around to see a white, no Brennan, even. Yeah. I'm like, oh great, <laughs> what's up his sleeves now? But, Got a lot of props. Yeah, you guys are. Uh, did you both start like around the same time? I think with the same week. I think you were the new person the day after I was the new person. So I only had about one day to be the new guy. Yeah, just one day of hazing. Yeah, I, th- one day I of think hazing. I think I started December eighth. Mm-hmm. Cool. So it was a Tuesday. Okay, so you had a, I had a week to be the new guy. <laughs> yeah. I was literally on the first. Um, yeah, so just started off the month. It was great. Has it dragged, flown by? What's the... Um, my time here has really flown by because there's been a lot of, of exciting work and projects that I've been taking on. Um, I, we certainly are building upon our digital um, strategies here, which has been really... Um, really exciting for March and for our clients and also just for us as a, as an agency. So while I'm just marking my two months here this past Monday, I definitely feel like I've been here for longer than that. And, um, I'm, I'm excited to be collaborating on so many team projects right now. Yeah, Yeah, no, it's not been too bad for me, actually. Um, I kind of got thrown in the deep end off the bat. Um, but luckily, my job before this, I actually worked for a tech publication that covered a lot of the topics that I'm asked to cover now as a content manager. Um, I basically had information on storage. The lingo wasn't completely Greek to me, so mm-hmm. it was good. Um, I wanted to come in and kind of just dive in and not disappoint and just hit the ground running and make it a seamless transition for everybody. And I hope I've done that so far. So, yeah, I've been having fun. It definitely feels like I've been here more than a month, but it's also flown at the same time. It's very weird. Yeah. But, yeah. No, that, I think when you um, – it was like three weeks after you had actually joined the company. Yeah. And I had mentioned something. And you were like, yeah, I just got here like two weeks ago. Yeah. And I was uh, like, really? Maybe. <laughs> it doesn't seem like that. You both, you both, it feels like you've both been here forever. So, so I mean, I, I wanted to get you both in because, um, you know, professionally you have kind of a similar background or, or one that kind of pairs well with our, our guest this week. We spoke to um, Katie Delahaye Payne, had an interview with her. She's one of the foremost experts on uh, measurement and PR and, and, and communications. Um, it's a great conversation. You'll hear that in a minute. But uh, I know, you know, measurement is kind of a, you know, it's a struggle for a lot of people at agencies and also like at, at businesses. Um, and, and you both have kind of some experience kind of solving those challenges. So, uh, Paul, maybe we can start with you. In your previous role, you, you yeah. mentioned it was a tech publication, right? It was a tech publication. Um, it was online only. And a lot of the challenges that they were having were they didn't have anyone working on SEO strategy or anybody actually looking at the numbers in depth. They naturally had a proprietary system in-house where they were looking at their own figures, but they weren't really measuring them against what Google had to say, what the industry had to say, what the standards were. Um, so my role when I came on there was to basically optimize content, for SEO, look at the stats, put the figures down on paper, present them to the authors, present them to the editors, present them to the whole team, and then basically make suggestions to improve it um, from top to bottom, changing titles, um, changing meta descriptions, just basically using the best practices that I had learned from my previous experiences. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so what we would do is we would assess that product, we would make those changes, we'd look at it again in 30 days, then again in 90 days, then again in a year. And the lesson we learned through all this was that you kind of constantly have to readjust. You don't want to be changing 
evergreen content or anything like that or just repurposing content. But if it's not working, you got to be willing to tweak it a bit. So mm-hmm. my job was to find what we needed to tweak and execute on it. So, yeah. And, um, yeah, that was pretty much my background before I started here. So Cool. Yeah. All right. And, Kristen, I know we, you know we brought you on here um, at March to kind of, like, raise the level of sophistication of, of the measurement we've done. We've always done measurement in one way or another. Yeah. But now it's kind of like taking it to the next step. Can you talk a little bit about what that means? So I'm really helping our clients and even our internal teams take a deeper look into our analytics and tell a story. See if there's a campaign that we're running that might directly be correlated or tied to direct traffic or referral traffic and really start understanding if we're enhancing our client's visibility through end user engagement and conversion, being able to tie that together is really important now because integration is such a huge component of strategy. So I'm leading a lot of these Google Analytics trainings here at March to really enhance and support our current PR measurement uh, tactics. Yeah. And you know, you mentioned the story thing, and that's something you've talked about in the past before, and I found it to be... Um, Definitely kind of like one of the more interesting takes on measurement. So can you describe a little bit about what that means when you're saying like using numbers to tell a story? Sure. So I'll be the first to admit that I'm a communications major because I hate numbers. <laughs> I am not I'm not a math person. So um, I think as communications people, we can be a little nervous of these metrics and these analytics because it's just numbers. And trust me, if you just take screen grabs of these numbers and present them to clients, client, sorry, it's going to look just like numbers. It's not going to really read or resonate with them. I think the importance is being able to have a real, you know, understanding of what these numbers mean, what it what it really means for the client and being able to explain that so it's holistic and 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 natural. And when you're able to kind of take your client through a journey and saying, you know, this is when your campaign was launched and these are the social media strategies that we implemented. And we actually included a bunch of referral links. And would you know, there's a bunch of referral traffic to your site. Clients are then able to understand the the strategy behind your campaign, but more importantly, the value that you bring to their company. Paul, you were working with, um, I guess, reporters, right, at the tech publication? Yes. That's kind of who you were mm-hmm. reporting on behalf of, I correct? was reporting on reporters. Yeah, yeah right. So... <laughs> Um, I was the bad guy. <laughs> well, that's, that's that's the point, really. Were you the bad guy? Like, how, what's the perception of reporting in that kind of Oh, there was definitely a lot of pushback, just because it was such a foreign concept to them. Um, they were journalists born and bred, just like I was. Um, unlike Kristen, I don't have a broadcast background. I'm a lot more print. So I understand how you can be a little precious over your content and over your authorship. And when I was telling them that, well, this title is not bad, but you can't write a sentence and it can't be a title and, like, throw this keyword in. They would definitely have the pushback thinking it sounds artificial. It's not my voice. You're trying to change what I'm writing. And, but it was really good process. Kind of this worked as an A and B sort of testing to just kind of let them understand that you're going to get more people to actually read the stuff that you put the hard work into. If we change these few metrics, if we make user experience on the page better, if we just deliver the content in a better package, it'll get to more readers. And I think once we were showing them how readership went up, how their pages were getting more views, how their stories were getting republished. Of course, they were happy about it. So yeah, it was a good effort. and It was a good undertaking. But it was definitely something we had to prove to the reporters. Yeah, I wonder, like, culturally, I feel like when you're in an agency environment, it's almost a little bit different because businesses want you to measure because they're paying for the the service. So they want to make sure things are 
are going well, obviously. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And uh, but then on like the, uh, I guess for the people who are on the floor and who are actually doing the work, it can be it's almost like a fear measurement, right? You know, you mm-hmm. might not know. Maybe you don't quite know that much about Google Analytics yet. You know, you've got the basics down, but you don't have the advanced stuff. So it's like, how do I give the client the right? A story, and then if I give them the story, is it going to actually make me look good, or are they going to say, "Well, these guys really aren't doing a good job"? So, like, what's the what's the balance there? How do you guys deal with those kind of challenges? Do you want to take that on? Um, <laughs> sure. Um, yeah, I basically can give them the answers on to how if they look at if we're not telling the story that we want to tell and we haven't been, and we're delivering these analytics to them and they're not great, we can give them a solution. We have experience fixing these problems. Mm-hmm. We know the answers. We'll put it together for you. We'll do A and B testing on our end. That's not dissimilar from what we had worked on at our past roles. And yeah, I think that we can basically just tell them the story of our game plan, our strategy, like Kristen was saying. Yeah. And I I think that, and, and this is something that I learned when I went and actually listened to Katie speak, you know, it's important to be transparent with your clients. It's, it's important to use analytics as a an opportunity to tell a story of success, but also to identify pain points and areas that potentially could be improved over time through a an integrated strategy, A and B testing, maybe an SEO campaign, and you know identifying the pain point, but then also identifying a solution or two or three that could help improve that metric. I think having that transparency and also precursoring those conversations with the fact that there is always going to be an ebb and flow with analytics and it's going to be a continuously, you know, continuous working thing Mm -hmm. and relationship is such an important part of that conversation and a part of that story. So when there are great metrics, it makes that, you know, storytelling that much more valuable. But when there's, you know, areas that might be a little bit lower than others, maybe the engagements down, the average session duration, being able to come to the table with an opportunity to improve that is is just as valuable. Yeah, and I think it also comes down to the client may not always know what those numbers mean, but we do. And we know why they're going in that certain direction. So trust us to fix it and get you there. I think we are a good resource because we have experience with it. We know what it means. So we can identify the problem and just tackle it. Mm-hmm. Kristen, you mentioned uh, you heard Katie speak. So the reason we had her on the show is because uh, she was – a guest at a pub club of New England event, and she was nice enough to do the podcast interview afterwards. Um, you went to that. So could you tell us a little bit about kind of what the flow of the conversation was, you know, what your sure. takeaways were? Yeah. So I had the opportunity to hear Katie speak recently at the pub club of New England, and it was really an, an incredible opportunity to hear somebody who I truly believe is a thought leader within her space shed some insight and experience as to one, how she got there, but but two, um, the way that we can apply her um, best practices for PR measurement into our workplace now. And it was just very, very interesting to hear her tell the story of, of PR measurement and to tell, you know, the story of, of reporting to clients and, and getting them on board. We, we find many times that clients want to see, you know, measurement. They want to see um if things are working, but they're, you know, a little apprehensive about giving us access to their Google mm-hmm. Analytics. So how do you get around that? And how do you, you know, get them on board with understanding that this is in, you know, for their benefit and for their best interest? She also talked about benchmarking um, success and goals. And actually, I had the opportunity to actually ask her a question 
And I said, how do you, once you get a client on board with reporting, how do you reel them in? How do you manage those expectations? And getting back to our our previous point, being transparent from the beginning with analytics and with this tool is super, super important because while you're telling a story, you want to make sure that you're telling the right story and you want to make sure that your clients aren't reading the the data and, and those metrics in a completely different way. For instance, bounce rate, if it's a little bit high, might not be a bad thing if people are converting. So being able to be really, you know, being a resource for them and, and helping manage those expectations on what they can expect with a campaign or with a, a conversion rate for a call to action is is super important. And I was I was just very excited to to hear her speak about that and give a little bit of insight as to how we can kind of help manage those expectations and those reports. Good. Yeah, she covers a lot of that in the interview as well, which we've got on deck. Uh, so before we wrap up here. It's President's Day weekend this weekend. What do you guys got going on? Anything? Sleep. Sleep? Yeah. Yep. Netflix sleep. and chill. <laughs> really? <laughs> I'll be sleeping. <laughs> Very good. All right. Well, thanks to you both for joining me today. Thank you, Manny. Thank you. All right. Let's get to that interview with Katie Delahaye-Payne. All right, and our guest at this time is Katie Delahaye Payne, who uh, has been one of the most foremost experts on communications measurement over the years. Thanks for joining us, Katie. Thank you very much. I'm very happy to be here. Great. So, you know, we're recording this uh, actually a day after you were a guest at a, a pub club of New England event here in Boston. Uh, and you talked about some of the challenges of, of PR measurement today. So I'm curious to see, you know, where do you see uh, PR pros struggling today with measurement? The big picture is that there's more data than ever before. There are more metrics. There are more tools than ever, ever before. When I started into the measurement world 30 years ago, I was it. You know, PR measurement was, you know, people subscribing to magazines and clipping them out of, you know, clipping articles out of newspapers and human beings reading them. And now there's, you know, 500 people in the space where there was one or two before. But the biggest issue is, is the fact that they haven't made it any easier and in terms of getting either getting data, uh, in, getting insight out of the data, or helping PR people. Most people don't go into PR people because they love math and data analysis. So you, the, the gap is that there's all the data, there's all these numbers, and then there's PR not people who, who aren't really, you know, friendly with numbers trying to use them. So that was really the, the start of the conversation last night was, you know, what's the solution from having this you know, wonderful, overwhelming amount of data to use, but not really knowing how to use it or what to do with it. That makes sense. And so how does that change, you know, how PR companies work, how they manage their clients, how they, um, you know, even how they hire, for example? Well, interestingly enough, I know a lot of PR departments that are hiring data analysts, right? So think about this. If you're, you know, you're, you're out of college with a degree in journalism or communications, you're trying to get a job. That spot, that one spot that might be open is going to go to a data analyst or somebody with extensive Google Analytics or Excel or data analysis experience, not you. Mm. So that's the, that's today's reality is, is the fact that more and more companies are looking for, uh, either hires or interns, um, that, you know, that have background in data analysis. 
Now, even even for those people who do have a background in data analysis, um, you know, I know a particular challenge that I hear a lot just from people here at our company or, or elsewhere in, in the business is the idea of measuring sort of intangibles. And so, you know, especially something like, say, a shift in perception about a about a brand. There, after... is, a, there is no such thing as an intangible. Okay. Yeah. Well, well let's go with that. Where, why is that the case? There's no such thing as an intangible. Um I mean, everything is measurable. I mean, a shift in perceptions is measured by an A-B test or pre-post test of what perceptions were to begin with and what perceptions were afterwards. Um, you know, reputation, there's any number of formal ways of measuring reputation, but that's been done for 20 years. Mm. You know, trust and relationships. I mean, Grunig's relationship surveys have been done for, for 25 years now. So there's, there's it's very... I, I, I get crazy when people say they're intangible because they're not. Hmm. They're not intangible. They're highly measurable things. Their opinions and, and attitudes are highly measurable. I mean, just ask the polling companies; they do it thirty-seven times a day. Hmm. And so, what do you think? The um, what's the sticking point there? Then why is it that people still seem to believe that these these are intangibles? These can't be measured if these tools already do exist and, and in fact, have existed for a long time. Well, I think. There's a couple of things. One is that, um, at least on the agency side of things, people are afraid that their programs that they love um, won't be shown as being successful or they don't have control over the results. And now, oh, my God, they're not going to, you know, get the gold star. Mm. Um, too many people sort of approach measurement as a way to justify the existence, which it's not – that's not what it's for. The, the purpose of measurement is to figure out what's working and what's not working, what's moving you towards your goals and what's not. And one of the things I said last night is you got to start with the premise that, okay, nobody's going to admit failure. In 30 years of doing this, nobody's ever admit failure, admitted failure. But some things succeed less well than others. And so what you do is you rank or you develop metrics. You develop, you know, clear objectives. How are you going to contribute to the success of the business or the organization or the program or the campaign or whatever it is you're doing? What is PR's role in that success? You define metrics around that goal, that that contribution that PR makes. Uh, and then you rank order everything based on whether it made a contribution or not or how big a contribution it made. So if you think about it, you know, if, if the goal is to shift perceptions, well, how do you do that? You get messages out there in influential sources that hopefully reach the target audience and persuade them, right? So you measure whether the messages got out there and how often. If you might, if you're trying to do a cost efficiency or calculation, if you want to put numbers in it, it would, what did it cost you? Uh, to get a message out there, you can compare costs per message communicated to, you know, CPM numbers and all kinds of other things if you want to. Um, but so you look at what was the, what was the, what were the messages communicated? What were the costs communicated? Uh, and then ultimately, did you shift perception? And so that's, you know, that's the basic premise of what it is that we're, um, what it is that, you know, we're trying to get people to understand do you think you mentioned an interesting point kind of the idea that um you know you're almost concerned about what the numbers will reveal if you do end up measuring you know something like sentiment let's say or even you know anything even more tangible uh, or i shouldn't say tangible i know that's not a good <laughs> a good way to look at it but mm-hmm. 
Is that a major problem, do you think, for, for a PR firm? Is that is that something that a lot of people run into? Is like this concern that once you start putting a number to it, then people can kind of hold it against you or judge you in that way? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, th- I think that's more of a problem with people in the trenches. I think senior, you know, I think if you talk to the heads of PR agencies and you talk to senior levels of communications people, those people would like to, um, you know, would like to put everything against tangible business objectives and business results. I think when your job is to write press releases and create events and, you know, send out blog posts and content and do all the things that PR people do, I think um, then it gets to be very scary because it might be that what you're doing isn't as effective as something else. And my philosophy is measurement should help you be more efficient by you know, doing fewer stupid things. And one of the things that came out last night was when I said, you know, how many people have been asked to do, you know, stupid projects because somebody in the organization says it's a good idea. And I use the example of of the political campaigns, right? There's there's no better measurement example today than the, at least the campaigns that I've been involved in. Because they know exactly how many votes they get and have can get. Um, you know, they've got eight years of data. They know that for every 100 doors they knock on, they get one vote. They know that for every 25 doors they vote, they, they talk to somebody. And for every 100 doors they talk on, they get 25 votes. You actually talk to somebody. Um, so and for every phone call, they know how many votes they get, right? So if you knew exactly how many people you persuaded for every message you got out there, right, you'd make better decisions. You'd say, you know what, if the goal is to get messages out there and we did this, this, and this, and oh, by the way, the stupid calendar you forced us to do or the video that you forced us to do because you thought it was a good idea, guess what? Here's the data. It didn't work the last time. We're not going to do it again. It's not a good use of your time. And back to the political analogy, you know, in New Hampshire, we have this tradition of visibility where you stand on cold, snowy street corners with campaign signs for your candidate. And they said, look, at, you know, don't do it. We don't have enough time, effort, and energy. We don't have enough volunteers. We don't have enough time. It doesn't produce as many votes as these things. So prioritize your time. Do the things that work. Do fewer of the things that don't work. So would it make sense then if you're going to be um, taking measurement very seriously? You know, it's almost like you want to start start by incorporating measurement from the start, correct? So you know, there will be times where but you yeah, go and I mean, yeah, you need a pre-study if you're gonna if you're gonna measure increased anything, mm-hmm. you need a baseline. Mm-hmm. You need to know where you started. Yeah, exactly, and that can almost kind of um, you know, if you are on a project where it's it's you know maybe not what you would recommend or maybe something that you feel like it's not going to be worth your time, at least then you'll have a base to go back and judge against and say. Okay, this ended up being actually worth our time, or no, it, it kind of confirmed our suspicions. This wasn't exactly the right activity for this client. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I, just kind of taking a look at the the landscape of, of, of tools out there. Obviously, technology's definitely changed uh, to the point now where it's 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 no longer just kind of you know judging the success of a campaign based off an Excel sheet, right? I mean, there's a ton of tools out there. Um, you know, what do you think of of, the, of kind of the landscape for measurement technology? What what works? What doesn't? And how would an agency go about? or agency or a client go about just finding uh, the right tool for them? Well, I, I would start with Google Analytics and that Excel spreadsheet. Because if you start with, I mean, the beauty of an Excel spreadsheet is, is that Excel can import data, do correlations, do analysis. It can do everything 10 times better 
than 90% of the platforms out there. And frankly, if you really want to do analysis, what I do when I do analysis of reporting, I download everything, whether it's Cision or Meltwater or whatever horrible system is out there. I download the data into an Excel spreadsheet. I analyze it. I clean it up. I run pivot tables. I do the analysis and I write a report. I never use a platform because they're worthless. They don't do the analysis for you. Um, I mean, some of them, CyberAlert and CDEPS and Prime Research and a handful of these really good systems that cost, you know, more money. Uh, but they, um, you know, if you, if you put technology to work for you, it's a wonderful thing. But that assumes that you've got the right data, right? So first of all, how good and clean are your search strings? How good and clean are your filters? Are you getting, you know, garbage in there? Um, if you're using sentiment analysis, is it accurate? Does it actually reflect anything that you care about? Um, if you're doing message analysis, is, you know, are the people who are determining whether the messages are in there or not, are they good or not? So there's all of these complications when you start out oh, let me try to decide between, you know, Meltwater and Trendkite and Talkwalker and CyberAlert, all of these different things, that's the last thing you should be thinking about. The first thing you think about is what are your objectives and goals, right? right? Second thing you want to know is what are the metrics, right? And who's the audience? And so then once you've got those things down and how are you going to benchmark, right? Someplace in there, what's the budget? After you've gone through all of those decision points, then you sit there and say, okay, now what tool will produce the metrics I need that give me the data I need to make better decisions? Everybody goes around this all wrong. I mean, I get all these calls saying, you know, I need a dashboard. My contract with Vision is coming up, or Mm -hmm. I hate Meltwater. I need a dashboard. And, you know, I've got to make this decision. And I go in there, and I work with senior-level executives and say, what role do you think PR plays in business success and the business outcomes you want? Let's define that first. What is it that you do that makes the biggest contribution to the organizational success? And frequently the answer are things like increased employee engagement or increased outreach and buy-in from volunteers or increased uh furthering of our agenda in the state legislature. Well, no common platform will measure any of those things. Mm. No platform that anybody would normally think of measures any of those things. So I say, you know, start with Google Analytics and Excel. Master those, use those, and then when you're really clear on what your metrics and your dashboard should look like, then start looking out around for other other platforms. I mean, and don't get measurement and, and evaluation confused with monitoring, right? I'm not talking about monitoring hmm. platforms. They're, you know, that's like, as I said, you know, when you're going on a trip and you don't have a big suitcase, right, the one thing you're always going to have is probably a toothbrush and maybe a hairbrush and some toothpaste, right? That's the monitoring, right? Monitoring is a toothbrush and a hairbrush and, you know, your basic prescriptions, whatever it is that you absolutely positively have to have with you, I think monitoring is that thing. And I think measurement and evaluation is um, 
that thing that you need, you know, the extra sweater you need because you're now at a point where, you know, you're camping outside. I mean, I'm sort of a terrible analogy, but <laughs> you see what I'm saying? It's just yeah. saying the monitor is something you just have to have. Right? Measurement and evaluation is something you have to think about. Got it. Yeah, that, that does make sense because I, I feel like if you're going from a you know platform first perspective, then you're most likely going to have monitoring. You know, we've ha- we have Google Analytics, so we know what your website's doing, but we don't necessarily know how this is tying into your goals necessarily. Yeah, it's it's I mean it's all about integrating your what you what the activities that you're doing with the results you're having. And I'm not saying that Google Analytics, you know, if you set up conversions in Google Analytics. Um, I'm not saying that that's the be-all and end-all because it may or may not work for you, but it's certainly a better place to start than let's count clips or column inches or, God forbid, add value equivalency. Mm. Uh, is there a way or is there like a, a process you would suggest to uh, you know, a, a PR pro if they say they had a client who didn't have a specific idea of what they wanted? Uh, you know, they know, they know they want you know, positive outcomes, but they're not necessarily sure what specific outcomes they're looking for. Um, is there a way to help the client kind of understand, maybe get more specific, and, and really target in on some good, good strong goals? Well, that would be my secret sauce that I actually spend most of my days doing. <laughs> but the, the, I mean, the, the reality is, what you have to do is, I do it with a the whole long process that starts out with an online survey and um, you know a three to six hour meeting and you know all kinds of exercises that you have to go through. But basically, the process is. You get, you basically say, who is going to look at my measurement report, right? What VPs, senior management, who's involved in this process? I'm going to get those people in a room and say, okay, you tell me what you expect and how you expect PR to contribute to the business of this organization, right? And I want from their words, those senior level people, I want to hear from them what it is they expect PR to do. You go from that point of view. Then you prioritize it. Because if you put five, you know, senior level VPs in a room together, they're going to come up with five different metrics, um, or at least five different goals. And then you have to get them to prioritize them. And then you figure out from that what the metrics might be. And then you get them to vote on what metrics make the most amount of sense. Um, and you define things, all of those things that we talk about, things like positive coverage. What constitutes positive coverage, right? I mean, is it a mention or is it a mention that contains a recommendation? Now, Procter & Gamble knows statistically that if a story contains a brand benefit, a brand recommendation, and a desirable photograph, they're going to sell something with that that story. Hmm. So I force people to go through that exercise and say, okay, what constitutes a good clip, right? What constitutes something that's going to move the needle? And I get them to define that. And we weight them. We weight, so say there's five or six different criteria that goes into a good clip. And we weight that. And we have a, um, a weighted index that we use and we apply that to social media or PR or whatever we have a, you know, I, I, I customize, um, things like engagement indexes, um, because that varies across the map. If you're a brand new company, you know, a like might be okay. If you're, you know, Southwest Airlines, a like doesn't really matter. What you really want is, you know, um, you know, advocacy. So you, you, you sort of have to 
have a fairly long conversation internally that defines those things up front. All right, interesting. So um, just wrapping up here, Katie, uh, are there any big focus areas or, or objectives for the year that you would suggest to um, just to help PR companies get their measurement in order? Absolutely. The, for, the thing to think about in this crazy year coming up, um, you know, other than all the things that I've talked about in terms of, you know, being clear about your, your objectives and, and all of those things, but the big thing that I'm seeing is this integration, what you said before, the integration of different data points. So, uh, what impact is external communications having on employee engagement or recruitment? Um, it's not just about, you know, am I bringing in more leads? Um, it's because of the, the fact that, you know, unemployment's down to 5%, talent is rare. It's harder and harder to find the key people that you want. So what you're going to need, so internal is shifting and becoming part of of communications as a whole. And you've got to kind of think broader than whatever narrow little silo you were originally doing, right? So it's not traditional versus social media. you got influencers, and then you got, you know, the great unwashed. you got people who are going to actually influence your customers and, and everybody else. You, what you do externally is going to impact your employees and your potential recruits. If you're not looking at, you know, if everybody thinks, okay, I'm going to read social media to see what people are saying about it. Is Glassdoor part of your social media list? It damn well should be. It's just as important as TripAdvisor. So all of these these different elements that we're all talking about, um, we have to incorporate in, we have to basically incorporate into your, your measurement and evaluation system, but also you have to correlate them. You have to connect the dots. It's not enough to just say, you know, we got 37,000 positive articles. It's, I got an increase of 37% in the number of positive articles. As a result, I increased my conversions on Google Analytics. As a result, we decreased the, you know, turnover rates, whatever it happens to be. Um, you've got to connect the dots between what you're putting out there and what the outcomes is what the outcomes are across the organization. You know, we're, PR people tend to get very parochial. Mm. And my prediction for 2016 is if you stay in your little silo and you continue to be parochial, you will be obsolete by 2017. Oh, well, there's a challenge there. Yeah, I mean, I just I think people have to think about what communications impacts out there in the world of their business. And it's a heck of a lot more than, you know, a story in the New York Times. I mean, I'm doing this wonderful project right now where I'm trying to evaluate whether external communications via mainstream media, like the LA Times and New York Times, has a greater impact than, so say there's a story in the New York Times. It gets shared two or three times. It reaches 100,000 people that they want to reach. And is that more or less valuable than a blog post for that reaches seven thousand people, mm. but gets shared five hundred times and generates a million online views. Right. So now you're talking about you know digital analytics as well as social as well as traditional. It's all coming together. Yeah. 
all those traditional terms like impressions and you know column inches are gone. Mm. You have to come up with a whole new way of thinking about things. That makes a lot of sense. So some good objectives here for uh, for 2016 for our listeners. And and where can our listeners hear or rather learn more about you and your work? I go to painpublishing.com. We have uh, a measurement mall where you can learn lots more about measurement. You can uh, go to our newsletter, The Measurement Advisor, which is a uh, twice-a-month newsletter all about measurement. And uh, we have lots of lots of measurement information as well as tons and tons of free resources on the Barcelona principles and measurement standards and uh, research that people have been doing over the years that I find particularly helpful. So it's a great resource. Great. Well, I just want to say thanks for your time today, Katie. It's been a pleasure to have you on the show. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Take care. All right, kids, that's it for this week's episode of Hacks and Flax. Thanks again to Katie Delahaye Payne for joining us this week and chatting a, a little bit about PR measurement and communications. So it was uh, nice of her to take some time out of her schedule and, and follow up with us after that pub club event. Also, a big thanks to Kristen McNulty and Paul Davenport. Uh, they helped kick things off with me a little bit earlier, and, and hopefully you'll hear much more from them in future episodes of the podcast. And of course, thanks to you for listening this week and for listening every week. We appreciate it when you hit that download button. Just want to remind you that if you hit subscribe on iTunes, you get the latest episode of Hacks and Flax delivered straight to your device when we come out. We come out twice a month. Also, very much appreciate it when you leave ratings and reviews. Thanks for doing that. It really helps out the show. Hacks and Flax is brought to you by March Communications. It's a PR, digital, and communications agency. You can find more from us at marchpr.com slash blog. You can also follow March on Twitter. The handle is at marchcoms. And you can follow Hacks and Flax on Twitter and Instagram. We've got both. Same handle on both platforms, at HacksFlax. Hope you enjoyed this week's show. We'll be back soon. I'm Andy Vega. Thanks for listening, guys.